Chapter Six, Section One of the Promise of American Life by Herbert Crowley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by the Progressing America Project. Chapter Six, Section One, Reform and the Reformers. Sensible and patriotic Americans have not, of course, tamely and ignobly submitted to the obvious evils of their political and economic condition there was indeed a season when the average good american refused to take these evils seriously he was possessed by the idea that american life was a stream which purified itself in the running and that reformers and critics were merely men who prevented the stream from running free he looked upon the first spasmodic and effective protests with something like contempt reformers he appraised as busybodies who were protesting against the conditions of success in business and politics he nicknamed them mugwumps and continued to vote the regular tickets of his party there succeeded to this phase of contemptuous dislike a few years in which he was somewhat bewildered by the increasing evidences of corruption in american politics and lawlessness in american business methods and during which he occasionally supported some favorite among the several reforming movements then a habit of criticism and reform increased with the sense that the evils were both more flagrant and more stubborn than he imagined until at the present time average well-intentioned americans are likely to be reformers of one kind or another while the more intelligent and disinterested of them are pretty sure to vote a reform ticket to stand for a program of reform has become one of the most recognized roads to popularity the political leaders with the largest personal followings are some kind of reformers. They sit in presidential chairs, they occupy executive mansions, they extort legislation from unwilling politicians, they regulate and abuse the erring corporations, they are coming to control the press, and they are the most aggressive force in American public opinion. The supporters and beneficiaries of existing abuses still control much of the official and practically all of the unofficial political and business machinery, but they are less domineering and self-confident than they were. The reformers have both scared and bewildered them. They begin to realize that reform has come to stay, and perhaps even to conquer, while reform itself is beginning to pay the penalty of success by being threatened with deterioration. It has had not only its hero in Theodore Roosevelt, but its specter in William Randolph Hearst. In studying the course of the reforming movement during the last 25 years, it appears that while reform has had a history, this history is only beginning. Since 1880, or even 1895 or 1900, it has been transformed in many significant ways. In the beginning it was spasmodic in its outbursts, innocent in its purposes, and narrow in its outlook. It sprang up almost spontaneously in a number of different places, and in a number of different detached movements, and its adherents did not look much beyond a victory at a particular election, or the passage of a few remedial laws. Gradually, however, it increased in definiteness, persistence, and comprehensiveness of purpose. The reformers found the need of permanent organization, of constant work, and even within limits, of a positive program. Their success and their influence upon public opinion increased, just in proportion as they began to take their job seriously. Indeed, they have become extremely self-conscious in relation to their present standing and their future responsibilities. 
they are beginning to predict the most abundant results from the uplift movement of which they are the leaders they confidently anticipate that they are destined to make a much more salient and significant contribution to the history of their country than has been made by any group of political leaders since the civil war it is in a sense a misnomer to write of reform as a single thing reform is as a matter of fact all sorts of things the name has been applied to a number of separate political agitations which have been started by different people at different times in different parts of the country and these separate movements have secured very different kinds of support and have run very different courses tariff reform for instance was an early and popular agitation whose peculiarity has consisted in securing the support of one of the two national parties but which in spite of that support has so far made little substantial progress civil service reform on the other hand was the first agitation looking in the direction of political purification the early reformers believed that the eradication of the spoil system would deal a deadly blow at political corruption and professional politics but although they have been fairly successful in establishing the merit system in the various public offices the results of the reform have not equaled the promises of its advocates while it is still an important part of the program of reform from the point of view of many reformers it has recently been overshadowed by other issues it does not provoke either as much interest as it did or as much opposition municipal reform has of course almost as many centers of agitation as there are centers of corruption that is large municipalities in the united states it began as a series of local nonpartisan movements for the enforcement of the laws the dispossession of the rascals and businesslike efficient administration of municipal affairs but the reformers discovered in many cases that municipal corruption could not be eradicated without the reform of state politics and without some drastic purging of the local public service corporations they have consequently in many cases enlarged the area of their agitation but in so doing they have become divided among themselves and their agitation has usually lost its non-partisan character finally the agitation against the trusts has developed a confused hodgepodge of harmless and deadly overlapping and mutually exclusive remedies which are the cause of endless disagreements of course they are all for the people and against the octopus but beyond this precise and comprehensive statement of the issue the reformers have endlessly different views about the nature of the disease and the severity of the necessary remedy if reform is an ambiguous and many-headed thing the leading reformers are as far as possible from being a body of men capable of mutual cooperation they differ almost as widely among themselves as they do from the beneficiaries or supporters of the existing abuses william randolph hearst william travers jerome seth lowe and george b mcclellan are all in their different ways reformers but they would not constitute precisely a happy family indeed mr hearst who in his own opinion is the only immaculate reformer is in the eyes of his fellow reformers as dangerous a public enemy as the most corrupt politician or the most unscrupulous millionaire any reformer who like mr william jennings bryan proclaims views which are in some respects more than usually radical comes in for heartier denunciation from his brothers in reform than he does from the conservatives each of our leading reformers is more or less a man on horseback 
who is seeking to popularize a particular brand of reform and who is inclined to doubt whether the other brands are available for public consumption without rigid inspection consequently the party of reform is broken up into a number of insurgent personalities the typical reformer says the late alfred hodder in a book written in praise of mr william travers jerome quote, the typical reformer is a star and a typical reform administration is usually a company of stars end quote. and a most amusing piece of special pleading is the reasoning whereby the same author seeks to prove that mr jerome himself is or was not a star performer the preference which the individual performers have shown for leading parts is in itself far from being a bad thing but the lack of team play has none the less diminished the efficiency of reform as a practical and prosperous political agitation these disagreements are more significant because the different star reformers are sufficiently united upon their statement of fundamental principles all of them agree to conceive of reform as at bottom a moral protest and awakening which seeks to enforce the violated laws and to restore the american political and economic system to its pristine purity and vigor from their point of view certain abuses have become unwholesomely conspicuous because the average american citizen has been a little lethargic and allowed a few of his more energetic and unscrupulous fellow citizens to exploit for selfish purposes the opportunities of american business and politics the function of reform consequently is to deprive these parasites of their peculiar opportunities few reformers anticipate now that this task will be easily or quickly accomplished they are coming to realize that the abuses are firmly entrenched and a prolonged siege as well as constant assaults are necessary for final success some reformers are even tending to the opinion that a tradition of reform and succession of reformers will be demanded for the vigilant protection of the american political and economic system against abuse but the point is the agreement among practical reformers that reform means at bottom no more than moral and political purification it may indeed bring with it the necessity of a certain amount of reorganization but such reorganization will aim merely at the improvement of the existing political and economic machinery present and future reformers must cleanse oil and patch a piece of economic and political machinery which in all essentials is adequate to its purpose the millionaire and the trust have appropriated too many of the economic opportunities formerly enjoyed by the people the corrupt politician has usurped too much of the power which should be exercised by the people reform must restore to the people the opportunities and power of which they have been deprived an agitation of this kind deriving as it does its principles and purposes from the very source of american democracy would seem to deserve the support of all good americans and such support was in the beginning expected reformers have always tended to believe that their agitation ought to be and essentially was non-partisan they considered it inconceivable either that patriotic american citizens should hesitate about restoring the purity and vigor of american institutions or such an object should not appeal to every disinterested man irrespective of party it was a fight between the law and its violators between the faithful and the heretic between the good and the wicked in such a fight there was of course only one aid to take it was not to be doubted that the honest men who constitute of course an enormous majority of the plain people 
would rally to the banners of reform the rascals would be turned out the people would regain their economic opportunities and political rights and the american democracy would pursue undefiled its triumphant career of legalized prosperity these hopes have never been realized reform has rarely been nonpartisan except in the minds of its more innocent advocates now and then an agitation for municipal reform in a particular city will suffer a spasm of nonpartisanship but the reformers soon develop such lively differences among themselves that they separate into special groups or else resume their regular party ties their common conception of reform as fundamentally a moral awakening which seeks to restore the american political and economic system to its early purity and vigor does not help them to unity of action or to unity in the framing of a remedial policy different reformers really mean something very different by the traditional system from which american practice has departed and which they propose to restore some of them mean thereby a condition of spiritual excellence which will be restored by a sort of politico-moral revivalism and which will somehow make the results of divine and popular election coincide others mean nothing more than the rigid enforcement of existing laws still others mean a new legal expression of the traditional democratic principle framed to meet the new political and social conditions but the reformers who agree upon this last conception of reform disagree radically as to what the new legal expression should be the traditional system which they seek to restore assumes almost as many shapes as there are leading reformers and as the reforming movement develops the disagreements among the reformers become more instead of less definite and acute the inability of the reformers to cooperate in action or to agree as to the application of their principles is in part merely a natural result of their essential work reformers are primarily protestants and protestants are naturally insubordinate they have been protesting against the established order in american business and politics their protest implies a certain degree of moral and intellectual independence which makes them dislike to surrender or subordinate their own personal opinions and manner of action such independence is a new and refreshing thing which has suddenly made american politics much more interesting and significant than it has been at any time since the civil war it has a high value wholly apart from its immediate political results it means that the american people are beginning a new phase of their political experience a phase in which there will be room for a much freer play of individual ability and character inevitably the sudden realization by certain exceptional politicians that they have a right to be individuals and that they can take a strong line of their own in politics without being disqualified for practical political association with their fellow countrymen such a new light could hardly break without tempting the performers to overplay the part the fact that they have overplayed their parts and have wasted time and energy over meaningless and unnecessary disagreements is not in itself a matter of much importance the great majority of them are disinterested and patriotic men who will not allow in the long run either personal ambition or political crochets to prevent them from cooperating for the good of the cause unfortunately however neither public spirit nor patriotism will be sufficient to bring them effectively together any more than genuine excellence of intention and real public spirit enabled patriotic americans to cooperate upon a remedial policy during the years immediately preceding the civil war 
The plain fact is that the traditional American political system, which so many good reformers wish to restore by some sort of reforming revivalism, is just as much responsible for the existing political and economic abuses as the Constitution was responsible for the evil of slavery. As long, consequently, as reform is considered to be a species of higher conservatism, the existing abuses can no more be frankly faced and fully understood than the Whig leaders were able to face and understand the full meaning and consequences of any attempt on the part of a democracy to keep house with slavery. The first condition of a better understanding and a more efficient cooperation among the reforming leaders is a better understanding of the meaning of reform and the function of reformers. They will never be united on the basis of allegiance to the traditional American political creed, because that creed itself is overflowing with inconsistencies and ambiguities, which afford a footing for almost every extreme of radicalism and conservatism, and in case they persist in the attempt to reform political and economic abuses merely by a restoration of earlier conditions and methods, they will be compromising much that is good in the present economic and political organization without recovering that which was good in the past. End of chapter 6, section 1